Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today and even more grateful that you're a part of our community. Before we wrap up our Jesus Stories series, wanted to give you a few updates and heads up in the life of our community. First of all, if you consider yourself to be a part of South Bend City Church, you can give. It's through your generosity that we're able to do what we do, so thank you. But we also know that generosity can come in the form of time as well. And here at South Bend City Church, we're so thankful to have the volunteer teams that we have. But we're always looking for more people to jump into our various volunteer opportunities. So if you live in the South Bend area and would like to jump into one of these volunteer opportunities, you can go to southbendcitychurch.com volunteer. That's also in the show notes below. Whether it's financially, whether it's through time, or whether it's through just simply being invested in a part of our community, Thank you for the ways in which you show up. If you are new to South Bend City Church, or even if you've been here since the very beginning and are looking for more connection, we have some fall tables launching here in September. Tables encourage us to live life together outside of gatherings, and these can happen in a bunch of different arenas. So starting in September, we've got a couple different options for you to jump into a table group, and all of this information and all the registration links can be found in the show notes below. First of all, we have our new to South Bend City Church table happening several times this fall. This is for those of you that feel new to our community, and it offers some history of this community, how we do church, as well as it offers the chance to meet our staff, to meet others who are new, and to ask questions. Lunch is provided for this, but childcare is not. And the first opportunity is coming up September 10th, right after our second gathering in person. This is one you need to RSVP for, so go ahead and head to the show notes below if that's something that is interesting to you. If you can't make it in September, don't worry. There's a couple more options coming later this fall. Later on that night, September 10th at 6 p.m., we will also have our student tables kickoff. Student tables are for students from 6th to 12th grade, and after the kickoff, they meet every first and third Sunday at 6 p.m. Students also need to register for their tables just so we know to expect them, and once again, if you're interested in that, you can jump into the show notes below. Or if you're an adult and you're interested in being an adult mentor, you can once again head to the show notes below. We have a variety of other table groups launching in the fall, which you can check out on the table section of our website, but we know that committing to a group for an extended period of time can be overwhelming and intimidating. So we're trying out something new called Open Table. This will take place in our mezzanine in person at Studebaker 112 on second and fourth Sundays starting September 24th after our second gatherings. Lunch and childcare will not be provided for these, but you're encouraged to brown bag it and keep an eye on your kiddos while you're there. And you can come once or you can come every single time, but hopefully this is a good first step for those of you who are looking for more community here at South Bend City Church. Now, all of these tables are happening here in person in South Bend, but if you're a part of our long-distance community, we would love to hear from you. Whether you want to host an online table or you have different ideas for facilitating connection for our long-distance community members, go ahead and email tables at southbendcitychurch.com. We would love to make sure that you have opportunity for community as well. All right, so this weekend for our final week of our Jesus Stories series, we were joined by Meredith Miller. Meredith is a parent, a pastor, and a new author of the book, Woven, Nurturing a Faith Your Kid Doesn't Need to Heal From. We're so excited to have her join us in our gatherings 
and to also facilitate a parenting workshop after our gatherings. That audio will be available in a future episode of the podcast, but today we jump into her teaching. We explore a story in John 2, where we're invited to a wedding, and watching Jesus' actions there reveal something critical about the nature of the reign of God that Jesus is declaring has arrived. What's more, it sheds light on a sometimes overlooked attribute of our God, as one who is joyful. So together, we'll consider the roles of fun, celebration, and joy in our lives with God. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump in with the rest of our community now. Good morning. It is so, so wonderful to be with you all. I am just delighted for the time that we get to spend together. Um, As I mentioned, I am from Southern California. That is home for me, has been all my life, except for five years, five winters that I lived in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't like it, (laughs) but we came back home in the summer of 2019, and it has been really lovely. I just, I love that place, and we have this park um, like half an hour, give or take, from where I live that it's been so fun to be like bringing my kids to, introducing them to. I went there when I was a kid. It's really been kind of important, actually, in my family's story in some kind of like strange ways if you don't necessarily know those stories, but It's been one of the places we've gone after some hard times to kind of like rest and play and heal up. It's also a part of where we'll go if we want to celebrate. It's where we've been doing family birthdays this last little while. And it's also where we were this past Tuesday because a book I wrote released and we needed to celebrate. And so we actually took a picture while we were there. Um, And you can see my family that way. So that's us. My husband, Curtis, next to me, my older son, Riley, in green, and my younger son, Peyton. And um, so that's where we spent this last week, and, um, and I'm taking them again this week because I can, so there's that. And then I sort of have this other memory that comes in very stark contrast to this last week and even this last season. It's a time I can be picturing myself sitting on a couch, and I'm hugging a pillow, and I'm looking out the window of my therapist's office, and it's all gray, because it's March, and that's the only color in Chicago in March. And I say to her, I have a complicated relationship with happy. I had realized that I had come to a point in life where there really wasn't a lot of play happening. No parks of any kind, anywhere. There was a lot of work, there was a lot of responsibility, but there wasn't a lot of fun. And one of the things I was trying to unpack with her was how much I thought that if I started to play more, if I brought in more fun, God would somehow be a little unhappy with that, throw a bit of a side eye my way. That there was some sense that God wouldn't really like it, would kind of tisk tisk if I did something just for the fun of it. And yet, I was also sort of wondering, what would happen if I tried? And maybe, just maybe, it isn't how God feels at all. Sometimes I wonder about the part of us that grows up and grows out of play and delight and wonder. I sort of wonder about the parts of us that used to be unself-conscious. We do things for the fun of it and not feel guilty at all. 
And there's probably some psychologists among our group who would offer some helpful insights about that process of being socialized out of playful things. There might be some church historians in the mix who could offer some really helpful insight about the ways that especially like U.S. white cultured Christianity has this sensibility about holiness that just like squashes fun to death. But I also think that part of it is a pervasive myth that joy is sort of beside the point in Christianity because obedience is the point or holiness is the point. We're supposed to sort of be holy, not happy. We're supposed to suffer and be okay with it. So there's verses, for example, like Hebrews 12, 11, and I'll read it for you. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet, to those who've been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right? And so there it is seeming to say to us that Fun and joy, it's a distraction from real discipleship. It's a selfish pursuit, undermining a spiritual one. You can look in our life around us no further than the very heated debate that sometimes continues on about whether or not it's appropriate for Christians to dance. Right? So I went to a small Christian school in Southern California that allowed dancing came from a church that danced, and it wasn't until I was like there and kind of in it that I realized that there were like these holier Christian schools that, that didn't dance and thought that we were like not really taking faith seriously. But the Bible, unlike some of these Christian spaces, <clears throat> Wheaton, does not present a contrast between our joy and our formation in becoming more and more like Jesus. In fact, joy is throughout the entire story of Scripture. It's an essential component. A few examples. If we think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, it's right there in what the Spirit of God does within us. Paul writes to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord, always. I'll say again, rejoice. But it's not just a New Testament theme. If you walk through the Old Testament, the prophets often speak of the day that God comes and God's presence is felt and known on earth in a different sort of way. And every time a prophet speaks of the days of renewal of our God, it's marked by joy. It's a marker of God's presence on this earth and among God's people. Because our God is a joyful God. Now, just like it takes practice to connect with God's peace, and actually have that be part of our lives more and more and take some practice to grow in patience, I think it takes practice to connect to God's joy. It doesn't always just come our way. And that might be a bit counterintuitive, right? If we think back to that Hebrews verse about how discipline can be a challenge, then it sort of feels like but practicing joy would not feel painful particularly, would it? Until we remember, perhaps, that we've had experiences, or maybe it's just me, where you get stuck in a negative script and you can't really shake it, and if you're honest, it's easier to hold on to it than to let it go and create space for something with more life, something lighter. When my kids were preschool-aged, we were having to kind of get ourselves out the door and get them to their preschool that was on site, and then we would get off to work, 
And it's all the shoes and all the coats and all the everything. And there was this run of a few months where every morning the script was, oh my gosh, we are always late. And if you guys would just get yourselves ready faster, this wouldn't happen. And it was easier for me to hold on to a script of blame, even though it was really unpleasant, than it was for me to really do the harder work of reimagining and practicing and reshaping our morning in a lighter and more life-giving way. And it might not always be a blame script. I think sometimes we can do this with other kinds of things like um, a complaining sort of script that we hold on to. Sometimes our anxiety, as much as it brings us down, it's also really hard to imagine letting it go because we sometimes feel like that fear keeps us safe and we don't know a more joyful way really yet. Those places can sometimes be easier to stay than to actually do the practice of making room for joy. It doesn't just happen, is what I'm saying. And yet, the practice of joy is really worthwhile because our God is a joyful God. Now, when I was a kid, I was around a lot of golf. Um, my dad was a golfer, I'm like decent, and so we would go, I'm an only child, so I had to like tag along, I learned to drive the golf cart, I learned how to play a little bit, we'd go to the driving range. When I was in sixth grade, I spent a week in Scottsdale, Arizona at golf camp. We did a lot of golf. I don't golf anymore. But, <laughs> but I golfed a lot, and this is what happens when you get onto the tee box if you golf. There'll be an image up here. The first thing that often happens as someone stands on the tee box is they look out at the hole ahead of them, and they're watching for hazards. And so you've got two major hazards in golf. If you know nothing about golf, I promise you're going to be fine. No big deal. You look out, and you have sand traps. Those are, those are the little white blobs. And then you have water. That's, that's the water. And you don't want the golf ball to go into the sand trap, and you don't want the ball to go in the water. Because again, even if you know nothing about golf, other than the idea that the little ball is supposed to go from the one spot to the other spot, it would be harder to get it there if the ball was in the sand or in the water. And so you would try to navigate away from the hazards. Now, our golf hole is going to help us here. Because when we look at the golf course of our faith, Bear with me. We do have two hazards there too when it comes to joy, I think. And first is this. There's a trap of idolizing happiness as we talk about joy. The other would be a trap of idolizing justice. Okay? And I'm going to unpack each of them for us in just a second. So the trap of idolizing happiness, this idea that happiness not following Jesus, becomes the point of religion. There's an idea that I work with a lot in the work that I do around kids' faith and um, how they develop. It came from the sociologists out of Notre Dame. And it's the idea of moralistic, therapeutic deism, which is just fancy academic speak for the sense that religion, as identified by the young people in the U.S., Christians and non-Christian kids alike, religion is about being good. That's the moralistic part, right? To be moral. They would also describe their faith as therapeutic. The point is to be happy. It's why I practice it. And deism is about how they understand God. It's a far away kind of God that kind of monitors the goodness situation and then steps in for like crisis prevention, happiness insurance, that kind of stuff. And Christian Smith's team 
They cultivated that term after they talked to over 3,000 young people in the U.S. about their sense of religious engagement. And across the variety of traditions, including all the Christian kids, this is what they named. My faith is for me to be good and I should feel good and God's supposed to make that happen. And when it comes to exploring joy, that's where we see that therapeutic piece of that language, which gets shared not only with our teens by any means, come back up. That therapeutic's the whole reason we do this thing. What's the point if I'm not happy? A big part of moralistic therapeutic deism, by the way, is that it operates on lists, right? If the point is for me to be good so that I can be happy, I have to know what it means for me to be good. I'll put all my good to-dos on one side of the list. I have to know what it means for me to not be good. I'll put all my don't-dos on another list, and then I'm going to manage those lists. And if I manage them well, the God that is out there watching will make sure that I'm happy. Now, What's really fascinating about deciding to idolize happiness and making therapeutic faith our whole deal is that it actually ends up working against itself because as each individual person just goes after their own personal happiness, it will always come at the expense of somebody else. It's happiness for me, but it's not we sharing in anything. And so we actually find ourselves far less happy than if we were to be connected to the joy that is available to us. Because to say our God is joyful is not simply about the joy that God would want to offer me. It is about the joy that God would want to bring the world. Both happen together. Something that we get to experience in our life and something we get to facilitate for others. So if the first trap is this idea that we're gonna idolize happiness, the other is this trap of despondency. We look out at the injustice and the suffering of the world, and it feels like joy is a really inappropriate response to all that's wrong. I mean, seriously, you went to Disneyland with everything that's in the news? In light of the world's pain, how can you celebrate? Fun's selfish. It shows you're not serious about the problems that need solving. And so instead, Somebody should commit themselves to what I'm going to call do-goodery for our purposes right now. And that is in particular because I am not saying that we don't need to be engaged in justice. So we're not going to call it that because that's shallow as far as the real important work of justice. We're going to call this do-goodery, right? Because it is most of all the idea that even if the good we're going after is important and worthy, it's now on the same kind of list, that what I do is make sure that I run my compost pile and I never buy fast fashion and I don't order from Amazon, or if I do, I feel really guilty about it. And it's still list management and left to itself, do-goodery, just like highly therapeutic moral list maintenance. It's gonna leave us weary and discouraged. But God's joy, it renews justice-loving, righteousness-seeking people so that the pursuit of real justice is life-giving and joy-filled even as it takes seriously the problems and the pain of the world. After all, the world we are working to bring justice into is one in which those people that we are partnering with get to flourish and live in a joyful way. So anchoring to a God who's joyful, it's something like shooting the path down the fairway. That's the like trimmed grass where the ball rolls really nice. 
we navigate the risks of idolizing happiness or idolizing do-goodery by instead connecting with our joyful God. Joy is the marker of God's kingdom among us, which is just this whole new reality we're invited to access all the time, even now, because it matches who God is. So with all of this in mind, and as our backdrop, I'd like to invite you into our Jesus story for the day, which comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. If you're a read-along kind of person and want to pull it up on an app, feel free, but it'll also have been up on the screens. This is um, a story of a wedding, and it starts like this. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration, which makes total sense. You'd have the entire community at a wedding. The wine ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said, and then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So John tells us this story and puts it kind of like right at the top of his gospel narrative. And the big reason for this is that John's whole goal as a storyteller is to present this question for us as readers and originally listeners and let us unpack it as we go along with John through the book. The question is this, the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in, this kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing, what can we expect of it? What can we expect of this kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing? And so the book of John starts, chapter one has like a little prologue where John makes some commentary about Jesus. We meet John the Baptist who talks about this kingdom, this reign of God coming in Jesus. Jesus invites his first disciples to follow him. And then this, he picks this event to be what he called his first sign of Jesus revealing his glory. John loves the word signs as the way he describes Jesus's miracles, which is super helpful because they point to something. And it's no different here. You have this setting of all the options he could choose of a community event. Weddings would have the whole town involved. You'd have a nourishing meal, which is incredibly important when you live in a society that's fundamentally agricultural and food is not nearly guaranteed in the ways that we might hope. And everyone is enjoying this together. But if you run out of wine, the whole thing's done. That's the end of the night. One of the other fun little, like, interesting pieces of this whole thing is in the Greek, the whole setup at the beginning of John has things like this happened, and the next day this happened, and the next day this happened, and the Greek version says, 
for the start of this one on the third day. Now, the point is not necessarily to keep your calendar just right, but when we get to third day stuff in the Bible, we're always looking at markers of some sort of new reality. It's one of our fun little symbol numbers. Third day things mark kingdom realities, resurrected newness. And so we come back to John's big question. This new reality, that kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing, what can we expect of it? What's it like? The reign of God is like a huge party for the whole community with an abundance of wine. Six jugs, 30 gallons. I don't want us to miss the heart of the story because there's all sorts of other things happening, but at its heart, Jesus does this miracle for the purpose of keeping the party going. That is the actual reason he did it. The point of the miracle is joy. There's not some like deeper spiritual symbolism. He literally wants to keep them drinking and hanging out and talking and being nourished in all the ways that happen when people come together and eat and drink with glad hearts because that's a marker of what the reign of God will be like. Like this wedding gets larger and everyone who thought they weren't invited finds a seat at the table and the wine keeps flowing in abundance for us all. The wedding is not sort of like a break before all the people who were there go back to the real work of being the holy people of God. This is what it looks like and feels like to be the holy people of God. Because holiness is not a word for being morally perfect. Holiness is a word for being distinct, set apart. To live joyfully in our world and to let that joy fuel joyful, justice-seeking efforts so that everyone knows they're invited on in and there's a seat at the table is a holy way to be. And so for anyone who might feel like, I don't know if I could sit at that wedding because I'm not so sure God actually delights in me. I don't know how God would feel about me just having a plain old good time. This is the story for you. Because Jesus is a joy-giving, life-giving God. Fun's the point. And part of this is because fun is a pathway to grace. Ben Patterson is a pastor who often said, joy is what we feel when we're grateful for the grace that's been given us. Joy is what we feel when we're grateful for the grace that's been given us. But I do think it also works a bit in reverse. That when we find ourselves in need of grace, fun is often the pathway to get back to it. It's how we create that space again. What a wonderful God we have to be inviting us into a joyful and abundant life. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do with me, if you don't mind. You can sort of settle in for a sec. If you want to get comfy or shift in any sort of way, just do feel free. And if you're willing, would you take a breath, kind of let it out, and I'd love if you would close your eyes. And as you do, I'd like to invite you to imagine a bit, just for a minute. 
And what I would like for you to imagine, please, is something you do for fun. What do you do for fun? Would you picture it? That thing you do for fun, does it happen in a particular place? Are you there? Does it sound like anything? Does it smell like anything? Does it feel any particular way in your body? And as you imagine yourself there, I'd like to ask one more question, and this one might take a minute, and that's okay. As you do that fun thing, where's Jesus? Look around in that space in your mind. Now, if it's easy for you to find Jesus there, then what we're going to do next can be a yes and a thank you and a more kind of practice. But perhaps it was hard for you to find him there, and that's okay. In which case, the next minute or so is an invitation to what if? Maybe. It just could be that there's joy for you and Jesus right there. So if you would open your eyes again, as you came in, you might have received some bubbles. If you didn't, you can just put a hand up and we got a lot more. But you need those now. So find your bubbles or raise a hand if you need a set. Okay, we're gonna practice together. Open them up. We're just gonna, yeah, uh huh. Oh, yeah, I see some people are on it. Ready, go. Okay, if you are able, I'm gonna invite you to stand. And we're gonna sing and we're gonna blow bubbles. Hit it.
South Bend City Church. It is my joy to bless you before we go our separate ways. So I'm gonna offer a blessing. And then I will say what we say as we close, grace and peace be with you. You can respond and also with you. And then I will say amen. And we will go one more time. Ready? Our God is a joyful God. May we be a joyful people. Jesus is a party-extending, joy-making kingdom-bringer. May we dwell there with him. And may the Holy Spirit, who made wine from water, go with you now, helping you receive fun and joy and play as the gifts that they are. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.